Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the LPL Market Signals podcast. I'm Ryan Dietrich. Up in Boston is Jeff Bookbinder, and we have a special guest this week, Bert White, Chief Investment Officer. Bert, this is a loaded question. How you doing today? Uh, it's Monday morning with the time we're recording this, by the way, guys. Uh, I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. It's my it's my first podcast here with you guys. I've uh, been waiting for the invite, and you wait till a day like this? Yeah, we just had the 15-minute uh, circuit breaker sell-off pause. So, yeah, we thought we'd bring you in on an easy day when there's absolutely nothing to talk about. Yeah, I like to start these with kind of like a quote, and I was, was looking through a good quote. I think a good quote for today is Bob Dylan. He said, money doesn't talk, it swears. And it sure feels like money is swearing with uh, approximately a 6%, 7% drop where we are right now. Now, Bert, before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself, because obviously this is the first podcast that you've done with us here on the LPL Market Signals podcast. But some of the advisors who listen to this know it, but some of the crowd might not know who Bert White is. I mean, you've got (laughs) this whole podcast 23 minutes. Try to keep this close or Uh. keep this quick. Who are you? (laughs) Yeah, man, that's a loaded question. Uh, Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Well, so uh, I've been the chief investment officer here at LPL for about um, about 13 years now. You know, I uh, I headed up investments over at Wachovia Securities, the old uh, what was what's now Wells, um, for about 10 years, and um, I've been the chief investment officer here for a while. And uh, the good news is I've been able to stand behind the scenes as really smart people like you and Jeff and everybody else kind of um, do your thing. But uh, I'm I'm been here a while, seen a lot, mold. Yes, that was one of my questions. Um, before I ask you the question, here's today's outline of the podcast. So we're clearly going to talk about the the massive drop we're seeing in oil Monday morning and oil is down 10% Friday. The potential impacts that have, how it all comes together with the coronavirus. Today is March 9th. 11 years ago today, the bull market started, or you could say the bear market from the financial crisis actually ended. And then we're going to try to wrap it up with some potential positives. So many negatives out there. There are some potential positives. But, Bert, that's where I was going to go to you right away. You've been doing this, I was going to joke, 120 years. Have you ever (laughs) seen, oh, my goodness, I mean, circuit breakers. I mean, this is what we've seen the last two weeks, I, I would assume, is something you haven't seen, hopefully, too many times in your career. I mean, what do you think the average investor should do when they listen to our podcast once a week, they see the news, they see circuit breakers in in your wisdom, what should what should we do here? Well, you know, the the reality is that that you, you have to have the right plan, and then you have to have a plan for your plan not working. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is where I think financial advisors are are so darn important, um, making sure that what they're doing is they are uh, making sure that that you've got that plan in advance. You know, I tell the story. Um, and I'll probably post it later uh, about uh, how to survive an attack from an anaconda. Mm-hmm. And and the reality is that that you run, right? That's what you do. If an anaconda comes, you run. But yeah. the reality is it will track you down and eat you up. And and so there's there's a, a different way of doing that. And uh, and and we won't go through what that is. I'll post it later. But um, it, it's it's pretty funny. But but the reality is how sometimes the right thing to do um, isn't always the obvious thing to do. And I think that's the real key right now. Is it is it 
you got to do the right things right now, not the not the obvious things, because the obvious thing is to run. The obvious mm-hmm. thing is to sell. The obvious thing is to deviate from your plan. That is almost invariably the wrong thing to do. And if you want to get eaten by the anaconda, or in this case, the a bear market, the, uh, abandon your plan and run is the is the quickest way to do that. So I think the biggest thing here, dude, is is stay on plan. And I haven't felt this level of uh, fast pulse since uh, two thousand. Seven, eight, nine, and uh, those those took a lot of years off my life, brother. That's right. I was talking with our buddy Alex. Won't use his last name out in California. One of our good advisors last night, and he he knew I was up tweeting, doing some things, and I said, you know, in a weird, twisted way, this is what we live for. This is our chance to help the listeners of this podcast, to help our advisors, to help them help themselves and help their clients. Because when markets are making new highs, like we were, what, Jeff, just two weeks ago? It feels like a lifetime ago. You don't need us as much. But when you have what's going on right now, that's, I think, when LPL Research and other smart financial advisors and people that you follow can really help you. But, Jeff, let's bring you in for a second. So let's talk what's going on right now, Jeff. Uh, as a time we're recording this, crude oil spiked up about 22 or 23% approximately as we have an all-out price war with Saudi Arabia and OPEC and Russia. Um, Jeff, kind of give a high level what's going on with the oil markets and potentially how that can impact the economy, specifically with the high yields and high yield spreads that we're seeing. Yeah, really uh, historic declines in the oil market. I mean, oil's been basically cut in half this year, yeah. which is practically uh, unprecedented. Uh, Russia and Saudi Arabia were trying to come to an agreement on output cuts to support prices, and um, over the weekend we learned they did not. We've got an oil price crash as a result. You know, Some will say that lower prices at the pump will help support the economy and consumer spending over time, and that's, that's right, but in the near term what matters is uh, you know, banks lending to energy companies, uh, energy bonds selling off in addition to energy stocks at you know around thirty dollars a barrel for crude, producing oil for virtually all uh, companies in the U.S. is not profitable. Uh, so there are some serious dislocations in that sector. Uh, it's only a few percent of the S&P 500 at this point, very small, but um, a bigger percentage of the high yield bond market so we're certainly evaluating that exposure here and I'm sure all of you out there are as, as well um, it's it's going to be a really tough period uh, for um, uh, the energy sector who's really probably feeling as much pain as any uh, part of this economy frankly other than maybe uh, cruise ships and airlines uh, uh, good point on the cruise ships there those so, are cuss words right <laughs> yes, you were are. talking about swearing yes that's like right cruise ships and airlines are <laughs> those are those, those are, are dirty words, words right what now. we're seeing yeah. right now they sure are so bert last week though we did have a strong jobs number you know yeah. the services number we had was pretty good manufacturing number expanded in the u.s the atlanta fed gdp now cast is predicting a 3.1 percent gdp in the first quarter we're aware that's backward looking but you know, maybe that's a good thing. We're going to have a slowdown. There's no question. But it seems like things are improving a little bit heading into the inevitable slowdown, right? Yeah, no doubt about it. And and the reality is the stronger that you are, the healthier you are heading into a crisis, the faster you can recover and the less the downside that there is. And so uh, the good news is that the consumer looked pretty good. The economy looked pretty good. Um 
you know, employment looked pretty good. So all those things look pretty good, which is all favorable for hopefully limiting what what this downside could be, number one. And number two is providing sort of the ability to get out of it. If you're weakened going in, um, you're in trouble. Um, the reality is we were not entering from a weakened position, um, which really bodes well for uh, finding a bottom here. Um, and then secondly, being able to recover uh, quicker than normal. No, that's a good point. So Jeff, let's talk about the U.S. consumer, like Bert kind of hinted at. Um, you know, I always say the biggest thing you can buy is a house, and housing stocks have been one of the areas that have been holding up. We've seen some solid, really solid housing numbers. We're fully aware of what's going on in with yields. We've talked about the 10-year yield. It's As of this morning, 10-year yields beneath 50 basis points, an all-time low, really all-time lows across the entire yield curve this morning. Um, but Jeff, you know, from a consumer point of view, how much do you think the fact that we're not going to travel as much, the fact that various conferences and I, what was the oh, what's the one in Austin? The, what's the concert in Austin, Bird? South by Southwest. South by Southwest just was canceled. I mean, literally everything is being not everything. Most things are being canceled. Can the consumer, Jeff, really hold up in that type of environment, at least in the near term, you think? Well, we, we think consumer spending can hold up pretty well, but there's no doubt um, that we'll see impact. You know, when people don't travel as much, you've got fewer tourism dollars uh, going into economies. You know, I'm here in Boston walking around Faneuil Hall. It's not going to have the same energy at this time, certainly, that it might have. Um, otherwise, it's the same for tourist destinations all over the place, uh, right? So that, that will have impact. I mean, travel and tourism is a small piece of the U.S. economy, though. And, uh, um, the bulk of consumer spending, certainly spending on necessities, <laughs> will continue. Uh, just go to your uh, neighborhood uh, Costco, CVS, Walgreens, anything like that, and you'll see a lot of stuff off the shelves. So there's a short-term boost to spending uh, to prepare for the virus, uh, certainly. And there's certainly going to be a lot of spending on necessities um, in, in the near term here uh, that can provide support. But anything tied to travel... Uh, leisure, big crowds, uh, sporting events, concerts, things like that. Uh, that's really where uh, uh, where the impact can be. And and to, to pile in on that, Ryan. I mean, I mean, you, you think about these these points that Jeff just made, which are true. But you know, you've tweeted over the years about the way the macro environment is changing. Digitization is changing. Mm -hmm. uh, what consumers are buying is no longer. Um, as much as a percentage of our economy is having to go to uh, Target or go to Walmart, they, they, they're now ordering things in Amazon and everything else. And, um, and so this element of digitization is changing. And, and, and when you want to think about things that are positive, um, mm -hmm. you know, there are these stabilizing forces. And one of the stabilizing forces is the consumer has become much more dialed into two things. One is subscription services. And those are hard to cut, right? I mean, you might have coronavirus, but you're not cutting your Spotify uh, subscription, likely, or Netflix. Hell, you might be using more Netflix right, here exactly. as of late because you're at home. And so the reality is that you could see a the way the economy is 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 uh, comprised over the years is actually um, might be more weathering than it would be if you were you know 10 years ago or 15 years ago. No, that's right. I mean, you know, from the point of the view of the manufacturing, back before World War II, the U.S. economy, about 45 percent was manufacturing based. Today, it sort of depends on the source, but between 12 and 14 percent. I mean, we've seen some of the recent numbers that the consumer now makes up 70 percent of the GDP. And I've 
joked on this podcast before, and I'll say it again. I think if you told the Dietrich household we had to stay inside for two weeks, we would help the economy because we assume that's assuming <laughs> they deliver the Amazon boxes. My wife would be ordering on Amazon nonstop. That's interesting. You mentioned those subscription services. We've started using that with Amazon where once a month something just shows up. Oh, yeah, we do need some more toilet paper. That's the joke. Everyone's buying toilet paper right now. How much toilet paper you bought, Bert? You loaded up. I'm embarrassed to say, you know, <laughs> we we probably have been uh, a bit, you know, I'm I'm a bit of a hoarder anyway, <laughs> right. you know, just in general. Um, I I have enough. I saw a, I saw something that in Australia where it's really uh, pretty tough. There, they said that they're now ex- using toilet paper as a means of currency. And I saw an exchange rate was eight rolls of toilet paper for a large pizza. And so wow. I could buy a lot of pizza. Just saying. I assume that's unused toilet paper, right? I. I think let's it is. So. It's hard to rewind yeah, let's, it let's up. Hope I think. So. That's, yeah, uh... once it's out, once it's out, it's out. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so let's talk about the birthday in the house. Um, the bull market, eleven years ago today, closed at an all-time low. Well, not all-time low, but the low of the financial crisis. For eleven years, the S and P five hundred has been in the bull market. Now let's. We've talked about this before. Let's be honest. We all use the lingo of a twenty percent correction would be the official end of this bull market. We had two near dips in back in 2011 and then in late 2018 where the market, the S&P 500, was down 19, almost 20% intraday. So we've had some real big scares. And as of this morning, I believe the S&P was about 16 17% off of the recent highs before the um, recent 15-minute uh, um, circuit breaker closing. But the bottom line is we've had these pullbacks before. But as we look at the bull market, Jeff, you know, First off, do you think it'll go to 12? And what is maybe, Jeff, your number one reason you do think we can make it to 12? Then I'll go to Bert for maybe some of the reasons um, he thinks it can get to 12. Well, there's there's no doubt that the bull is in jeopardy. Yep. Uh, we're only about 3% away, right? give or take, uh, right now. Uh, and we don't know when people will get confidence that the outbreak is contained. Um, you could argue that the bull market already ended a couple of times, and a lot of people mm-hmm. have made that case because we were down really close to 20%, uh, certainly in uh, December of 18, and uh, similarly 2015-16, and then go back again 2011. Um, in fact, the, the average stock was certainly uh, in bear markets during those times. So um, that... Um, process is healthy because uh, after you drop you sort of set the stage for the next run and we'll do that again whether it's when we're down 17 18 or 22 obviously nobody knows but um, I, I think um, once we get more evidence that the virus is being contained and we can see something like what we saw in China you know I fully recognize that that data can't always be trusted but when when you start to see cases slow in a sustained way, uh, and hopefully that's coming fairly soon, given the aggressive containment measures. That's that's probably when um, you know markets really uh, start to recover. Yeah. So I'll just say add one comment, then I'll go over to you, Bert. I took a look with our friends from Ned Davis Research. We found there have been 31 10 percent corrections on the S and P 500 since 1980. After those lows, one year later. The S&P's higher 90% of the time, up almost 23% on average. Clear caveat, we don't know when those lows are until after the fact. But the bottom line, if you go back in history, these sell-offs happen, fear happens, 
And if you have a plan, like Burt kind of started off this podcast, more often than not, a year later, you're hired. It doesn't feel like it right now. In fact, it feels like you said, you maybe just sell everything and hide under your bed and uh, watch Netflix today. But um, it is National Nap Day. We joked maybe if you can actually get a nap today, go for it on Monday, March 9th. But Bert, the bull market is 11 years old today. Maybe what's one of your reasons you think you can keep going, but maybe one of the things you're really worried about why it could end, like Jeff said, maybe if we go by 20%, gee whiz, we could be, by the time you guys listen to this, we might be down 20%. But what what do you think? Um, Well, I I think the number one highest jolt of confidence is having a job. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, the reality is everybody that wants a job has a job, and there's nothing more confident than that, nothing. And and so I think the reality is, uh, Ryan, that, that, that would be the number one. The number one is that people have people have jobs. People know that they need jobs. And, you know, when you have jobs, you spend money. Um, and we're going to lock ourselves up maybe because, because of this coronavirus. But I do believe it will be contained at some point. Um, how long? Is it a week mm-hmm. or month or two months or whatever? I don't know what it will be. But uh, we'll we'll lick this. We've always licked these these elements of 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 these diseases, and um, over time they'll they'll get control of that. And I think the number one factor we got here, dude, is that we have we all have jobs. Yeah, no, good points there. And you know, some other point I think is is worth noting when you take a look at previous bear markets back to 1966. We've seen six of them that didn't have a recession okay our base case is still we're not going to fall into a recession but i'm aware every day that maybe tilts a little the other way but we're still our base case looking at those six five of those times the s p bottomed right about between 20 and 22 percent you think back to december 2018 i remember citing that stat then and that was really scary i even think oh boy this this we're going to bottom about 20 percent. no way we're going off the abyss and sure enough, that's right about where we bottom. So if we're not going into a recession, which is still our base case, down around 20 22% is a potential, really potential nice buying opportunity. Now, Jeff and Bert, we have, let's see, about four more minutes to go. So let's talk about some good news. I'll, I'll mention one, then maybe go to Bert next and Jeff with some good news. So my good news that I'm following is copper. We've talked about this before. Dr. Copper is very economically sensitive. Copper has not broken beneath its previous lows. It's holding in there. Even today on Monday when equity markets are crashing, copper's down less than 1%. So if you think we're going into a global major recession, my personal opinion is copper would be leading us lower. There are definitely other worries out there. But the action in copper is one that has me cautiously. I'm a a strategist on TV, so always cautiously optimistic. But that has me cautiously optimistic. Bert, what's one piece of good news that you have uh, for our investors and listeners of the podcast? Well, or two. Give us a couple. Or at least you're, one. You're looking for lots? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm looking for anything yeah. here. <laughs> you know, the, over over the years, and I've been doing this for 30 years now, um, wh- what I'm amazed by is that we underestimate the amount of offsetting stabilizers that are in the marketplace. You know, as prices go lower, valuations get more attractive. As uh, as commodity prices go lower, like, uh, like oil prices gone lower, it's a... It means that gas prices are lower for consumers, and it means that those commodity prices that go into businesses, uh, they can they can get oil and energy and sugar and you know Lord knows what cheaper. And so the reality is, you have these built-in to some degree stabilizers. Now they're not foolproof, and you know you still have these dislocations, and we're going through those now. Um, but what happens is when you get to these extremes, these stabilizers begin to matter. Um, 
And, and this is why there is a limit to where these things go. And so the reality is, if I had to say anything, that would be uh, that would be the number one positive thing for me is I think there are these stabilizers out there that that, that begin to kick in. And when you add them all up, uh, they end up to be tough to break through. Well, good points there. Jeff, before I go to you, I want to mention some other good news. We've actually been hitting record number of listens to this podcast. We could probably thank the coronavirus for that, but also thank you, the listeners, for continuing to support us. We'll keep doing this podcast, please. And if you like it and you want to be our friend, give us a positive review. The more positive reviews this podcast gets, the more people can listen to it. But thank you so much for the continued partnership and um, just listenership from all of you out there. So, Jeff, we've got uh, three minutes or so. What are some of the positive things you see out there in the markets or macro environment right now? Well, one, Ryan, is related to uh, the point Birchis made, which is that, you know, we're putting in stimulus right now. You know, one easy one to point to is uh, a lot of people are going to go out and refinance their mortgages at lower rates. Another easy one to point to is prices at the pump are going to go down dramatically, right? Not as much maybe as oil prices, but they're going to go down. And, uh, those will provide support. We're going to get more help from policymakers in Washington. Um, we haven't gotten much yet, but more support will come, and certainly the Federal Reserve um, stands ready to do more. All of that will position us, I think, to be in better shape for the rebound on the other side of this. And on the other side of this, which I know is really tough to see, we're going to have a situation where the relative attractiveness of stocks relative to bonds is going to be historic. Mm-hmm. And at yep. that point, uh, you don't want to be stuck with a lot of your you know, equities in your asset allocation uh, sitting in cash. So um, we are trying to stay focused on that, focused on the long term. It's really hard here. Uh, we get that. But long-term investors have an advantage. They aren't you know, evaluated daily on their performance like maybe some institutions are, some mutual fund managers. Uh, if you can stay focused on the long term and look at what economic growth and corporate profits might look like in 2021 or 2022, try to factor that in to uh, your assessment of the markets here. I think you're going to be rewarded over time. Good stuff there, Jeff. Bert, a couple of closing comments, and I'll bring us home. I can tell you, you started nodding when Jeff mentioned stocks are going to be historically cheap to bonds. Yeah, I mean – it's amazing. I don't know what percentage. I'm going to go look this up. I don't know what percentage of stocks now have yields uh, mm. that are greater than that of the 10-year, but I, I can't imagine it's not darn near all of them. Um, and so, so the reality is you begin to think about sort of on the other end of this just how amazingly uh, cheap stocks will be um, on an equity risk premium yep. relative to bonds. And, and, and that will be, I think, a story to unfold. Um, you know, the last thing I would just say is, you know, the one thing I'm watching out for, and we we talked a bit about this earlier, you and I, Ryan, is, is this is the Fed. Yep. You know, I, look, r- rates are extremely low, and I, I think the Fed going out and just shooting um, a, a bunch of other bullets, I'm not so sure, uh, helps as much as it should. And you go back to 2008. Um, 2009, um, you know, you, you had Fed funds rates, you know, in 2008 at 3%, and you had the savings rate at 3%. And 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 this is following going back to the kind of mid-80s when Fed funds was at 18% and savings rate were at 12 And so what, what's fascinating is, is it, and it, it 
it makes sense that as rates go, as Fed funds moves lower and rates move lower, a savings rate begins to move lower as well. So they thought they go to zero and people would suddenly take savings rate to zero and they'd spend all that they own. Mm-hmm. But the opposite happened because at these levels this low, people are concerned. And so I think the one thing to watch out for is whether or not uh, the, the Fed contributes more help or hurt. And it's the one thing that I think I'm watching more than anything else, um, Ryan. Very interesting. Thank you to Bert for joining us for the first time. Thanks for Jeff being up there. And I'm going to end it with this. It's a good quote from The Godfather, too. You a Godfather fan, Bert? I am. Yeah. Hyman Roth, he said, this is the business we've chosen. And we've chosen a business of investments and markets go up and down. And we're really glad that you guys continue to listen to us. And we'll be here next week to continue to guide to the best of our ability what we're seeing out there in equity markets, global markets, and macro views. Thank you for being here to the latest LPL Market Signals podcast. See everybody next week. Goodbye. This material was provided by LPL Financial. It is for general information only and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and it's no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker dealer. Member FINRA and SIPC. Insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency. Not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposits or obligations and may lose value.